Matt, hello and welcome to the Inspiring Future Leaders podcast. I'm really thrilled to have you here with me today, particularly as it's taken so long for us to actually get this uh, date happen. And I'm really looking forward to our chat. Firstly, if you could please briefly introduce yourself to our audience and then we'll get started. Yeah, will do. Um, Kelly, thanks very much for having me. Um, hopefully good things come to those that wait, but I guess that will be down to your uh, your audience to determine. Um, so the name is Matt Rishkowski. Um, I'm currently the Vice President of Customer Experience for Amaya here at Cision. Uh, customer experience is made up, I guess, of four key customer-facing pillars of uh, customer support, customer success, onboarding, and customer education or customer training, however you choose to word it. Um, I also have a customer uh, experience operations team as well that um, is a bit of a lifesaver to me, I have to admit, um, in helping uh, scale um, my CX organization, but also keeps me very sane as well. Um, I've been at Cision for about 18 months now, uh, have been in a variety of customer success, customer experience leadership roles for probably, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years. Um, in job titles and I say in job titles because I think like a lot of success and experience professionals um, if you go back into earlier kind of roles they had a variety of different job titles that would probably today be called customer success um, so I've worked for the likes of SAP and Autodesk um, and that's probably enough as an introduction for now. Uh, I'm just going to follow up on that CX Ops. Lifesaver and keeping me sane. I think they are the unsung heroes of um, CS, CX world. The first time I ever built a customer success organization from scratch, it was my first hire, was getting somebody in CS Ops because I knew that I couldn't do it without them. So I wholeheartedly second that sentiment there. Whilst I clearly have lots of people from customer success coming on this podcast, we tend to talk much more about leadership and culture something that I'm very passionate about and I know that you are too. So let's start with that term leader and leadership. People tend to go down one sort of path but I want to bring us back. What comes to mind when you hear the term leader or leadership? What sort of people, what sort of roles, what sort of experience? What does leader or leadership mean to you? Yeah it's just a really interesting question. I guess like lots of people when you think about leadership, you probably think of two extreme ends of the spectrum. Who are the leaders that you've worked with or for that inspired and excited and motivated you the most? And then you go to the other end of the spectrum. Who were who those kind of car crashes? And I'm not saying necessarily as individuals, but maybe incidents or examples, or maybe it is a person where you go, you just won't cut out for it. Uh, and that's probably where I go to. So I'm not going to name or shame anyone or anything that's happened that reflects what I would class as, as bad leadership. What I would think about as a strong example of leadership is probably an individual. And there's probably two or three people throughout my career that, that really stand out as, as strong leaders um, and positive leaders. The one that's probably most relevant to kind of my time in customer success and customer experience um, is a gentleman called Roberto Sagona. So I worked with Roberto at Autodesk and Roberto's job title, and I probably should get it right, but I've worked for so many different people with so many different job titles that it all kind of blurs a little bit. But he was responsible effectively for global services at Autodesk and ultimately part of global services was customer success. I loved working for Roberto. I still have the pleasure of speaking to him every now and again. Roberto is a very, if he listens, this is going to be kind of polishing his ego a little bit, but he's a, <laughs> he's a very passionate, very charismatic, um, a very 
customer focused leader. He is Swiss Italian. So with that very kind of traditional cultural Italian kind of personality, very expressive, quite emotional. Uh, and I've seen both sides of Roberto's emotions, the happiness and pleasure, but also the frustration and anger that that comes with him as well. The thing that really stands out working with Roberto and for Roberto was his ability to take you on a journey. And my time at Autodesk was amazing. Probably the career defining role and company that I worked for. And I loved that period of time. But Roberto took me and us who were part of his team on a journey of transition and transformation as Autodesk migrated from on-prem to cloud from a very traditional, I guess, software support structure to one of customer success. And I always felt part of that journey. I always felt that my opinion mattered. And that's something that really kind of resonated with me at the time. It's something that I still look back on with huge fondness. And I I talked to my team at, at Cision today, we're going through a very similar kind of transformation as we migrate to a business that is more focused around customer success and and outcomes and all the good things that you hear uh, around customer success. But when I talk to my team about the journey that we're on, that that isn't easy. So transformation change is generally not easy. It's human nature. But what I want people to do is not just think about the struggles that happens, but in in the future, I want them to look back like I do at Autodesk and go, I tell you what, that that was a tough period but it was fun and it was exciting and I felt part of it and we achieved what we set out to achieve. And that's one of the things that I really remember about my time at Autodesk and working with Roberto. It felt like we achieved something and it felt like I was part of it. Um, and Roberto had that very strong behaviour of taking you on that journey with him. Was that meant to be a quick answer that you were wanting from me? Matt, I wasn't expecting any of your answers to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lucky I'm not offended easily. <laughs> and I take it as a compliment, funny enough. Well, it was a compliment. I was taken on a journey as you were articulating how you yeah. felt about Roberto and how he made you feel and what that whole experience was. And, and I could really feel all of the emotions that you had felt during that time, but also now looking back on it and now taking your current team through that same journey it was really beautiful to listen to I promise you it was a compliment when I said I don't expect (laughs) any of your answers to be quick and I do expect them to be meandering and lyrical and just really inspiring and I'm going to dig down into it even though it was not a short answer that was a beautiful ode to Roberto I'm going to tag him so that he does listen to this you told us what it was that you loved about him how do you think he managed that what were some practical examples of how he took you on that journey how he made you feel part of it and how he made you feel like your opinion mattered what were some of the examples that people listening could take away I think there's a couple of things one is the vision we talk a lot about vision in leadership roles but actually bringing that to life is is really hard I think Roberto did a really good job of articulating what that vision would look like for individuals and for the business and for our customers. I think he was very clear around defining that. And the bit that you spoke about around how I felt like he took us on the journey and and it felt like we were a part of it. I don't think this is particularly rocket science. He asked questions. He he wanted to know your opinion. He wanted you to, to, to feel part of it. So he asked you questions. The other thing, and I remember very clearly, although for a large part of my career at Autodesk, I didn't report to Roberto directly. There was a period where I did when my leader left. And I remember Roberto saying to me in one of my one-to-ones with him, he said, Matt, what I really like about you is that you challenge me. 
he said, I've got lots of people around me that sometimes just agree with me for, this, for the sake of it. He said, but you challenged me and you challenged me positively. That really resonated with him as well. That I felt like I could challenge him. And he was very clear around. He said, I might not always agree with you. He said, I'm, I'll go and make my own decision. That's why I'm in the role that I'm in. But you're not afraid to challenge me and question me. And again, it's one of the things that's really important for me um, in my role as a leader today. I love people that are curious and challenge me. There, there's a lady in my team, Mariana, who leads my onboarding and training team. Uh, and, and I embarrass her frequently in calls and, and all hands calls because Mariana continuously asks me why. Um, and of course, there are moments where I'm like, Mariana, stop asking me why. Um, but I love that curiosity. I love the fact that she challenges me and she challenges what we do at Cision. And that, again, is something. So you'll, you'll hear from me as I go through today, linking some of the behaviours I saw from Roberto that I've now started to repeat through myself. And I guess that, that going back to your very first question, it's probably a really good example of a good leader is taking some of those strong behaviours that you've seen from people that you've had the pleasure of working with or working for, and then taking that and applying it into your style of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And and conversely, the other end of the spectrum, right? You started by saying that you, you think there's this spectrum where on the one end, you've got really strong leaders, as you see it, because we've all yeah. got different perspectives, right? I agree with yours, by the way, but, you know, yeah. we've all got different perspectives. I, I have to acknowledge that because I yeah. do believe in people being the, their authentic, genuine selves. So on the one end of that spectrum, you've got the, the those strong leaders who inspire, excite and motivate you. And on the other end, you've got those car crash leaders. I wouldn't call them leaders, car crash managers. Yeah. You, you take examples from both ends of the spectrum because one is an example of how you want to show up in your leadership role and the other one is how you definitely don't want to and what do you do in order to avoid that I also love the fact that you love people that are curious and I think that's a, a really important piece in business but what I hear a lot and what I have certainly experienced a lot is that there are a lot of organizations where you feel like as Roberto said people say yes for the sake of it but I think there's an element of during school during early careers there are a lot of people out there who do make you feel like you have to follow a particular path and there is a right and wrong answer mm. and therefore asking a challenging question is challenging authority and that's not seen as a good thing or it might be seen as a stupid question because everybody else will know the answer whereas inviting that curiosity is really important how do you go about that how do you invite that curiosity I know you did say that Roberto asked questions but how did you know that you could challenge him even if he asks questions how do you know that you can challenge somebody that you're talking to? I think that opens up to the wider culture that a leader tries to create. And, and culture for me is not something, and I'm going to contradict myself, I guess, a little bit here, because I said there the culture that the leader is trying to create. I don't think you can necessarily create it mm -hmm. by go and build it. I think it comes through behaviours that you demonstrate. One of the biggest, and again, I'm going to use another example from Roberto because I think it's really important. It's coming back to trust. Roberto's ego is going to be going, going off the scale if he does listen to this. Um, I remember vividly a moment that we had as a leadership team. And when I say leadership team, it's, it's Roberto's directs and his next level down. So it was probably a leadership and a global leadership group of about 50 people. Every year in November, we had Autodesk University, which is our customer event in Las Vegas, a week long event, great, good fun, socializing, customer conversations, meetings, loved it, loved it. But on the back of that week in Vegas, 
we had uh, a leadership meeting and Roberto took us to Scottsdale in Arizona for our leadership meeting. And we were at the very kind of start or the very early stages of our transformation, the, the customer success team creation, the organization, what it was going to look like how all the different components were going to work together. So what support was and all the various uh, various other functions that we had coming together. Um, and at that time, before that week in Scottsdale, we were a group of individuals. There were some of us that got on, some of us that didn't get on. There was a bit of conflict. We probably weren't making progress as quickly as we should have been towards the vision that Roberto had painted. Uh, and Roberto had obviously kind of identified and, and seen that so he, he he took us off to Scottsdale which is lovely locked us in a conference room for a week hired a, a couple of consultants from Franklin Covey delivered some training around I don't know if you've read the book the speed of trust I think it's called so we did a week with Roberto and uh, these consultants from Franklin Covey talking about the speed of trust and I remember the early morning on that first day I'm the consultant saying, look, this is going to be a tough week. There's going to be some fun, but then maybe some tears and there may be some arguments. And we are going to have to address conflict because as a leadership team and a leadership group, you need to deal and manage with conflict. Um, and only then when you create an environment and create a culture of being able to deal with conflict, can you build trust? And then can you come together as a true leadership team to achieve what we're trying to achieve? That week was great, but tough and horrifying in equal measure. And there were tears and there was frustration and there was anger and there was arguments and there was conflict and confrontation. But the one thing that was committed to us at the start of the week, that by the end of the week, we would walk out of there aligned as a leadership team, respecting each other and understanding the value each of us brought to the organisation and how coming together as a group of leaders, we would be successful. But we had to go through that week of pain to come out of it. That created a culture, it created the culture of trust, going back to that kind of piece. And then that culture's there. Um, and you've got people that thrive in that environment. But as I said, you can't really artificially create culture. You have to go through some of that, that, that pain that I spoke about. And maybe we accelerated it because we put it into a, a one week kind of workshop, but you can build that culture over however period of time you want to, as long as you're willing to kind of deal with that conflict piece, be honest with each other and all of those type of things. Again, a bit of a, a long answer, but a real practical example. And again, I reference that week in Scottsdale a lot. And if any of my team at Cision kind of are listening, especially my leadership team, they will have heard that story from me at least once that actually the best thing for us to do to trust each other as a group of leaders, as a team of leaders, that you've got to kind of, you've got to be honest, you've got to, you've got to deal with conflict, confrontation, and then you become a stronger leadership team. Uh, that's excellent. Again, a beautiful story and wasn't expecting quick answers you looped that back right at the end there because I was thinking that that's great and it sounds like yes it's an intense week but a really beneficial valuable week a lot of organizations can't or won't invest that time to get a leadership team in one place and manage to push that through into that place of trust and alignment so I was going to ask what are some practical alternatives to that but you're doing that you're taking the intense experience you've had 
and pulling that through in your dealings with your leadership and your team on, on a regular basis, on an operational basis, to, to show them and demonstrate to them what can come if on a daily basis you show up and yeah. you're, you're honest and you're open and you're transparent and you're vulnerable, you deal with that conflict uh, and over time, a longer time than a week, you will cultivate that culture that you're talking about yeah I am look you you speak to me and and follow me and we interact on LinkedIn and social media of of various different platforms so you know that I I listen to a lot of podcasts um, I read quite a lot of books I've already referenced the Franklin Covey but I also listen to the podcast by Patrick Lencioni who talks very well around kind of leadership he's a, a thought leader in leadership and leadership behaviors and styles there's a there's a great book that he has um, called the five dysfunctions of a team um, which is another one that talks a lot around some of those words that I just I just spoke about there so the five dysfunctions of a team what what prevents a team from being successful absence of trust so the, the trust word comes up again the fear of conflict conflict I've already spoken about that lack of commitment avoidance of accountability and inattention to results and again, I, it's a it's a great book. It's a very easy reading book, as a lot of Patrick's books are. And I think all of those kind of dysfunctions effectively are set by by a leader. So yeah, some good stuff there as well. You have mentioned that book to me before. That sounds really interesting. And if it's an easy read, then uh, even better. That's a bonus. Thanks for sharing that. You referenced there that I know you quite well and the things that you are articulate about, vocal about and passionate about. One of the things that I mean we've been involved in together is diversity and inclusion, uh, belonging, separately or together, mental well-being as well. So that was something that I particularly wanted to talk about because I think that's a big part of leadership and culture, making sure that your team are well and that therefore they are they're performing and are fulfilled and motivated. Can you expand on that a bit? Where does that passion come from? What are your experiences and, um, and how do you help your team? Where does it come from? So there's a variety of topics that you kind of referenced there that you're right, I, I've got a genuine passion for, but I also think as a leader, it's the right thing to do as well. The mental health one uh, is probably the easiest one to kind of explain. I've had my own struggles with mental health for a variety of reasons. Anybody that's kind of does follow me or listen to me will have heard me talk about it on podcasts, on webinars, or will have just seen posts on, on LinkedIn and, and Twitter about it. I'm not particularly shy around saying that I've struggled with it. it it took me a while to kind of come to terms with that and be comfortable about talking about it but that is I guess one of the reasons why I'm so comfortable about talking about it now but the way that I, I think I explained this on another podcast recently it's it's a little bit like an addiction in the way that I don't think you ever recover I don't believe that just because I don't suffer now as much with mental health is that I'm fixed that it's not like that it's just I'm aware of what my triggers are. And when I mean triggers, it's the things that will make me move to a bad place. So I know what my triggers are and I know how to react and respond to those triggers. And more importantly, most of the people around me know and understand that as well, I think. So for for me, I have a morning walk. I have a morning walk of between five and 10 kilometers a day. That isn't for my physical health. It it obviously helps getting 15,000 steps in a day or whatever that contributes to. Um, But I do it for my mental health. I do it because actually I am a better version of myself. If I can clear my head at six o'clock in the morning when the rest of the world is sleeping and I can go out and just get some peace and quiet. And look, some of those days I listen to podcasts. Some of those days I listen to music. Some of those days I just 
have peace and quiet. Depends how I feel. So that keeps me in a good place. Exercise generally. I don't particularly enjoy exercise. I'm not kind of a fitness freak. But if I don't exercise, that takes me into a bad place as well. So those are the types of things that I'm aware of that triggers me. And I know how to kind of react and respond to those. So I, I am a lot more capable at dealing with my own mental health. So all of that means that I'm probably a little bit more aware of how other people can suffer. And it, it's tough to identify it. Mental health doesn't come with a label that is, is attached to you. It's not like, I don't know, not like diabetes that you may have a bracelet that says, I, 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 I struggle with diabetes or I, I have diabetes. Um, so... Occasionally, there are things, signs, signals that you can see. Uh, I do think customer success and customer experience is an industry that um, is very susceptible for people to suffer more from. And, and I've spoken about that on, on a variety of other podcasts as well. So I'm slightly more aware, I guess, and a lot more conscious and sensitive of how, how people can suffer and be more susceptible to suffering in in this industry than maybe others nobody can see on the other end but i'm nodding away in complete (laughs) recognition and resonation here because over the years and it is decades uh, i tend to use the term i manage mental health yeah i don't say i have depression i don't say that i struggle with mental health i manage mental health i manage my mental well-being and much like you i recognize it it took a long time but i recognize what my triggers are i know what will make me in a better place uh, and sometimes much like going to the gym for other people. I don't ever go to the gym, but much like going to the gym for other people, it's one of those things that sometimes you are good at keeping the habit going and sometimes you're not. If I don't keep the habits going, I can see myself taking taking dive. and, And so I have learned to manage over the years. And I also agree, I don't think you ever recover. I think you just become more aware of what your triggers are and how to better react and respond to those things. And I know that for many years, because I was first diagnosed at 27, I think, but I can put depression and suicidal thoughts back to when I was at school even. Yeah. And for many of those years it's been a taboo subject I can remember the first time I'm not really wanting to talk about it because I knew what my colleagues at work were saying about other people what they would say about me but certainly in the last 10 to 15 years I've been much more vocal about it and I'm much more passionate about making sure that we strip away the taboo from my personal perspective I want to thank you for finding your way through to talking about it and making sure that we break down that that barrier or contribute to breaking down yeah. no worries so diversity and equity and inclusion why is it important apart from the very obvious answer of that i say it's a very obvious answer it's not an obvious answer but it, it's the right thing to do it, it for me it's that simple that everybody in life deserves the same opportunity as anyone else irrelevant of who you are inside and outside i come from a very multicultural part of London. I had a great growing up, look back on it with huge fondness. I enjoyed my time at school. Was I the the cleverest? No. Did I do okay? Yes. I love where I went to school. I love the people I grew up with. I'm friends with a lot of them still today. Genuinely, my group of friends from 40 years ago are my group of friends now. And a lot of them are from very different cultures and, and backgrounds. And I saw firsthand for a lot of them the struggles they faced on a day-to-day basis growing up um, against various forms of, of prejudice. 
Um, and that's that's just always been there as as I grew up and, and were part of their lives as as friends. Um, and then you and then you come to a work environment and you become aware those prejudices still exist in a in a work environment, which is horrific. And so I've always been aware of it. I've always and I've been lucky enough that I've worked for companies that have allowed us to do something about it and see it um, and understand it. So again, my time at Autodesk, my time at SAP, great companies that do create genuine great cultures of inclusivity and fairness and equal opportunity. I'm lucky that I've worked for companies that have placed significant importance on that. Can I just jump in there and ask, when you're talking about that, and, and again, massively resonates with me, even at school, and I lived in a fairly reasonable area, nothing really bad going on, but I always saw the people who were kind of social outcasts at school, they were singled out, whether yeah. they were picked on or not, but they were on their own, through no choice of their own. I often saw that, and I often tried to... Um, mitigate that in some way I also have a natural tendency to support people so I want to move that forward and progress and as you say I love that that everyone everyone does indeed in life deserve the same opportunity as everyone else so you say that you've been lucky enough to work at organizations where they have encouraged and allowed you to do something about it what are some of the practical examples of things that have been done in these organizations whether that was by you or by others to to make a difference to either to highlight it or to make a difference or to change things I think one of the things that I've taken for granted is the fact that um and if I let me take my time at SAP as an example they reported and were transparent with their diversity data I'm still a pretty firm believer that you can't improve something that you can't measure or you don't measure. So I knew as a leader that I may not have been perfect. I may not have, have had a great or a diverse team. And I actually did, but I might not have done. But actually, I had that data to understand exactly what that makeup of my customer success organization looked like. So what was the male to female ratio? What was my and not just and we're not just talking about individual contributor level here, because I know this is something you and me have spoken about. Um, and, and done a, a couple of webinars on. Um, but actually, what does that look like at a leadership level? It's great that you've got a 50-50 split of male to female customer success managers. But actually, if you then get to a situation where 90% of your leadership team is male and 10% of your leadership team is female, you have a problem. You have a different problem, but you have a problem. As I said, I was very lucky at SAP that we collected that data as a leader, as a manager of a, a fairly large team. I knew the makeup of my team from male to female to different racial groups to different experiences. So early talent to all the way through the range of ages. So I knew the makeup of my team um, and I knew where I needed to make improvements um, or where I need to be a lot more aware and conscious of where we need to make improvements. I took that for granted. It's not so easy um, at companies that, that don't do that. Here, here I am at Cision and I lead the what's called embrace which is our racial diversity employee resource group for the uk using a very american word i lead the uk chapter and we are trying to educate our uk workforce on a variety of diversity equity and inclusion topics so we're a fairly small erg we're a fairly small group we've chosen four significant events to celebrate and recognize throughout the year um, we did the same last year 
for Q2, um, we're doing something a little bit different. We're actually recognising Gypsy and Traveller Month, which I think is a group that is neglected, has not been considered. And I think on the back of some well-publicised comments from Jimmy Carr, I think in February or March this year, where I think he told a, a joke or two, and I say joke in inverted commas, at the expense of the gypsy traveller Roman community. It's a neglected group. So we don't necessarily go for, I don't want to say the obvious ones, that's definitely not the right term, but actually we're looking at some of the more neglected um, groups that, that need to be recognised. And so we're, we're doing some work around educating our, our organisation on, on that group. That's the, the priority for, for Q2. That's really important to be highlighted because, as you said, with the spectrum of leadership, stellar through to car crashes, the same is true with society. There are so many biases and prejudices that each of them are worthy of being highlighted and, and worked against. And there, there has been a lot of focus on certain groups within society. So at least there is some spotlight on it. You know, maybe enough is not being done just yet, but it's on the way. And then it makes sense to go to other groups and make sure that everybody has got some sort of a spotlight on them so that that can then start to be raised up so that we all then end up on this platform where everybody does have the same opportunity as everyone else. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. It's one of the biggest battles and struggles we have as, a, as an ERG is that there isn't enough people in our ERG, there never will be, to address all of the things that we need to address. But we are a small group in a relatively small company, in a relatively small country. And can we just change something? Can we do something? Never be enough, but... Well, like you say, you're one group in one company, in one country. Let's face it, on one side of things, there are many places that aren't doing anything but if everybody chose to do one thing then it would be more than doing nothing and as they say the ripple effect if you take a small step it actually leads to a much bigger journey and a much bigger outcome I I think that's fantastic that at at least you've got that group going and at least there is some attention and highlighting I'm gonna have to leave it there but Matt please do come on again because there's lots of things I want to talk to you about and I love having a it's a proper conversation with you one of the things I didn't want this podcast to be was just Q&A fire back and forth I love having conversation with you so please do come back on again thanks ever so much for your thoughts and insights today I am going to tag Roberto so that his (laughs) swell with joy at being remembered so fondly from your previous time with him so just one last thing from you you've talked a lot about the fact that you post on LinkedIn and on webinars and podcasts and things so if people do want to find out more about you if they do want to follow you if they want to hear more about your thoughts and opinions and perspectives where can people find you? Yep, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm fairly easy to find with a surname like mine. Look for Matt Moskowski, you'll find me. I'm on Twitter as well, which I think is at Matt Moskowski, and you'll find me easily there. I'll, I'll find you and put the links on the bio. Yeah. You might find the wrong link, uh, the wrong Twitter profile, which is my one that I talk a lot about football, that um, is probably not the best reflection of professional, Matt. So find the right Twitter account. Otherwise I'll, I'll, inc- I'll include them both. I think we need the professional <laughs> and the football, Matt, uh, the football fan. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I've loved it. And uh, yeah, I would love you to invite me again if, uh, 
if you can oh yeah uh, well and uh, i know how hard it is to get into your diary so i might schedule that now so that we've got a chance of it happening within the next few months but thank you once again for a great conversation matt many thanks for you listening at the other end watch out for the next episode next week of the inspiring future leaders podcast bye for now <laughs>